everything will change after this. My, my whole life has got to be different. Uh, and, and some of them I thought they were, um, you know, I didn't know what to make of them at the time. I know when I graduated for high, from high school, for example, like you, you finish high school and as a kid you don't realize that you are about to go from the easiest, best part of your life to the part where you go to work every day. You know, or I, I went to college and so I didn't actually work. And then I became a minister and I haven't started working yet. But at some point in time, I will have to do actual work and, and it'll be hard. Um, but I, I didn't realize, like, becoming an adult and, and going out and being responsible, it changes everything. Paying out of my wallet to go to school, like to college, changed everything. And going forward, paying off those bills changed everything. And I didn't realize at the time how big it was. Um, I know when I was, um, when I was uh, 15, I decided to follow Jesus. And that was, a, that was a, a, you know, a slow process. But I had a night where I prayed and said, God, I, I'm going to give you my life and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you no matter what. And this is going to be the way my life is. I will belong to you no matter what. And that was a, that was a point where I remember shaking as I prayed that, that, that everything changed and nothing was ever the same after that. Um, I met my wife, Jessica, oh, what is it, 23-ish years ago, um, and, and I remember driving away, like we had met on the internet, and then we met in person, and when I walked away from that meeting, that face-to-face encounter with her, I knew I was going to marry her, and it was one of those moments where I knew nothing would ever, ever be the same, you know, as, as much as like when I held my daughter for the first time. You know, I knew nothing would ever be the same. It was a changing moment. And it's something I've heard said over and over again in the last um, month is that life will not be the same after this. Like this, this, this lockdown and the, the virus and the, that all of our lives are going to change as a result and that there's no way that we can just go back to the way things were. And, and I don't know if that's true or not. Like I don't know if we're going to stop shaking hands forever. I don't know if... Uh, if hugging is over, um, or if, if people will stop commuting, or, or if we're all going to wear masks for the rest of our lives. I, I really, I don't know. I, it's an advantage to me because it covers the trouble area, my face, um, and nobody can tell when I'm inappropriately smiling at something um, or, or disgusted or whatever. Like, it's, it's a good thing. But, but people keep saying nothing will be the same. And, and as we dive into the series, and this week in particular, um, we're going to be talking about the resurrection, and really the resurrection is a turning point. You know, the cross and then the resurrection is a turning point in history. And from that point forward, nothing, nothing, nothing is ever the same. And there is no getting away from the fact that the world has to be different. And everybody who encounters the risen Lord, like everybody who comes to know Christ intimately, nothing can be the same. Um, and we're going to be looking at John 21. Um, this is specifically uh, uh, the very last chapter in the book of John. It is one of my all-time favorite chapters in the Bible. I say it about every other week, so um, I really am, am wishy-washy on this subject. Um, the series so far, we've talked about the resurrection. We've talked about different encounters folks have had with Christ. We've talked about the resurrected body and what like heaven will look like. Um, you know, We've kind of worked our way through this subject. Um, and, and, like, before we dive into this one, I want to make it clear. Like, there's a timeline here. So, on Good Friday, you have uh, Christ 
dies for our sins, and we are forgiven for our wrongdoing. Like, there is nothing you can do to add to that. There is nothing you can do to earn it. There is nothing you can do to deserve it. Like, we are forgiven because Jesus was punished in our place and, like, like bore the penalty for our sins. And that changes everything because I am no longer at war with God if I am in Christ. Like, I am no longer dead in my trespasses and sin if I am in Christ. Uh, because Christ died for me. Um, and then on Easter Sunday, Christ rose from the dead and declared victory over death and, and gave us a foretaste of what was to come because in eternity we will be resurrected physically and we will be, you know, made new. And, and everything is different because, like, now I don't have to live afraid of the grave. We talked about that a little bit at the end of the sermon last week. We talked about, the, like, the reality that we should not live in fear of getting sick right now. We shouldn't be stupid. Don't hear me say we should be stupid. Don't hear me say we should run the risk of, of getting the people around us sick or being, you know, reckless or whatever. But we should be obedient despite the potential. And, like, that is a reality that, that we get from the resurrection. Like, we are assured of eternity. This is not our, like, this is not all there is. Our, our bucket list isn't that important because climbing Mount Everest, which I will never, ever do, um, but if it was on my list, like, it's nowhere near as amazing as the heights I will climb to in Christ or with Christ in eternity. Like, there's so much better coming that, that like, nothing here is on the scale. Um, and so these post-resurrection experiences, first off, we learn a little bit about Jesus. We learn a little bit about the resurrection. We pick up some theology. We see Christ do some amazing things. Um, and they are evidence of the fact that Christ rose again. People saw him raised again. And so, like, as we dive into this, like, there's a really big, important thing that we learn. And, and we're going to get to it. Um, and I'm going to tell you, like, I'll tip my hand. Nothing can be the same again. And that is the idea here, right? Like with Peter, nothing can be the same again. And chapter 21 of John is largely about Peter's encounter with Jesus. And, and nothing is the same after it. Um, and so in order to dive into 21 here, we're going to go to Luke 5, um, which is a different book. It was written by Luke, who is a doctor. He traveled with Paul. And Luke was given a specific job to go around and interview people and write like an investigative report of the occurrences, like the occurrence of, of the life of Christ, the death, and the resurrection. And so he interviews Mary, and he interviews people who saw Christ risen. He interviews people who were with Christ when he taught, and he compiles this book based on it. And, and so it's a unique book in that respect. Um, and so Luke chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1, and we'll read the first 11 verses. And my eyes aren't that good, so I've got to pick it up and look a little closer. Um, one day... As Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the, by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little bit from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now watch this. This is Peter's first encounter with Christ. Peter was a fisherman by trade, and he like fished, as we understand it, with um, James and John, who are brothers, right? And John is the author of the book we're going to get to here in a minute. 
Um, but they, they would fish together, and the way you would fish, you would have two boats, and you put them next to each other, and you would cast a net between the boats, and you'd have a guy in the water whose job it was to, like, manage the net and everything else. Like, it was a big process, and you would pull in fish, and you would spend all day doing this, and you would sell what you caught or eat some of it, you know, and this is how you made a living. And so Peter is this professional fisherman, and he is stuck in the front row. Now, even in quarantine with no one physically here, most of the church is in the second half, back half of the room. We're almost Baptists, um, <laughs> but not quite, uh, because there are a few rows up. Um, so the the like there's this element of like Peter is there and he is forced to listen to Christ preach and he listens to him talk and Christ is just off the shore and he's sitting there like his voice is projecting across the water to this huge crowd and Peter is listening and and he's there and um, a little bit of background before we dive into the specific here as a Jewish man Peter who is probably a little young at this point but Peter would have been a student initially every Jewish man started out as a student and in your first three years of school um, you would memorize the Torah, like the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so every Jewish man knew the Torah by heart. You had to be able to recite it. Now, if you got to the end of that schooling and you weren't quite good enough, they would send you off to do a trade, right? Like trade school, you know, go and learn to fish. And that's what Peter did um, because he, he was not a graduate of seminary like and if you memorize those books well enough they would send you to the next level and you'd memorize you know the wisdom literature or whatever and you'd memorize the prophets and then you would memorize the talmud and like if you were good enough you would be brought in under a rabbi and peter was not good enough neither was james neither was john they were kicked out of school early and they became fishermen um and so here we are peter's there he's listening to this guy preach um he is not theologically adept um he is not like a holy man he is a fisherman um, so we go on. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so full that they began to sink. Now, what has happened here is they have thrown their nets over and they have pulled in so many fish that they need a second boat. Um, so James and John come tearing out there, and they're pulling the fish in, and the boats are sinking, and it's amazing. It is a miracle. Um, it's often called the miracle of the miraculous catch. Um, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Um, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled a, their boats up onto shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, there's a lot going on here. Watch this. Peter is a Jewish man. He's an ordinary man. He encounters, like, he encounters a man who has performed a miracle. He doesn't know he's the son of God yet. He doesn't know what's coming. He just knows that this man... Um, is there and he is performed a miracle and he's a teacher and so he's a holy man and peter's response immediately is whoa back up dude i'm no good you need to go somewhere else like like i am i am a sinner i do the wrong thing um i am 
I'm a, a Hebrew school reject, right? Like I made it through the first grade and I didn't make it to the second grade. I'm not smart. I'm not holy. I'm not religious. And I, before I go further, I want to explain something. Like that Jesus' reaction to God himself is, back up, I'm awful. Like that's powerful. And I know a lot of people who respond to God this way. Now watch this. Um, I've said this several times in the last few weeks, and I, I, maybe some of you guys watching are watching today because this is a lot easier than physically showing up to church um, because there's no one there, and, like, there's no one there who sees you and judges you, and there's none of this and, you know, this, like, oh, well, I'm not good enough to be here. Like, maybe you're in Peter's spot where you're saying, whoa, 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 Lord, you back up. I'll watch from a distance, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not okay. I'm not good enough. Um, I, I met a girl, uh, when I was working in, uh, mental health, uh, it was, a I worked in a facility for kids who had been locked up from one reason or another, drug addicts and, um, you know, criminal, like people who were like gang members and committed crimes and had emotional issues and all kinds of other stuff. And we, we, uh, I was a chaplain there and I remember one day I was, and most of y'all have heard this story. If you've heard me preach before, I, this is a story I talk about a lot because it was a, huge impression on me. I was talking to this young lady who was a drug addict, and she was telling me, like, oh, you, you don't understand. So you do not understand who I am and what I've done. God can't love me. God won't love me because, because I've done such awful things. And, and I knew her story, and I knew there was some pretty, like, she was ashamed of a lot of the things she had done as a part of her drug problem. And she was very ashamed of what her life had become at one point. And she said, like, God can't love me. God, God won't love me because of what I am. And I say, you know what? That is just not true. Because Christ died for you knowing what you are, knowing what you would do. And all of that is washed away if you're in Christ. All of that is, is gone forever if you're in Christ. And that is the amazing thing. Like Christianity is not about being perfect. And if you are watching me today and you think you're perfect, you need to back up and look at your heart a little more carefully because none of us attain perfection. A lot of times we stumble in our sin um, and, and we become blind to our own sin because we get so deep in it. Or we ignore it because we don't want to look at it. Or we compare ourselves to the guy next to us and say, man, I'm way holier than that guy. And so we don't notice that we're sinful because we're just, like our standard is wrong. Our standard is Jesus, not that guy. Not the town drunk, not like the, the, the prostitute, not the drug addict, not the, you know, any of those people. Our standard is Christ. And if you are not at Christ's level, you need forgiveness. Um, you need to open your eyes and recognize that you need forgiveness. You need grace. And that's who Peter is. Peter is the guy who walks in the door of church and says, as a joke, well, I'm here and I haven't been struck by lightning just yet. And I, I mean, there are people who take that attitude. Oh, I'm no good. Oh, I'm worthless. Oh, I'm, I'm you know, trash. Oh, oh I'm a slut. Oh, I'm a, a drunk. Oh, I'm this. Oh, I'm that. God can't love me. I'm just not good enough for this. And that's who Peter is. And Peter encounters Christ. He sees the miracle. And his response is, no, not me. I'm not good enough. The amazing thing is that Jesus' response is, you've been fishing for fish all your life. Get up and follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Now watch this. That get up and follow me. For a rabbi to say that to a student, that was the pinnacle 
of like Jewish life. That was, you became a student of a rabbi and you would follow him. And the way rabbis usually taught was, like for the most of their teaching, there were sometimes they would sit and teach, but 99% of the time they would walk and talk and their students would follow them and listen and ask questions. And that's what Jesus says to this guy. Hey, I'm going to jump you from failing first grade to doctoral level. Let's go. You are accepted as God's person, not because Peter's awesome, but because God is awesome, because God is merciful. And like the bottom line of this and every other sermon is always you come back to it is like God doesn't need me. He doesn't need anything I bring to the table. He loves me. He shows me mercy. And he makes me better than I would be otherwise. And so Peter walks away from everything. He says, this is an offer I can't refuse. He gets up and he walks away from everything. And he follows Christ. We're going to flash forward into a different book. This is the book of Matthew. It was written by Matthew, who was a tax collector and a sinner. And like when Jesus ate at his house, the religious people looked at Matthew, or looked at Jesus and said, what on earth are you doing in this guy's house? He's a tax collector. Um, Tax collectors back then were hated more than they are now. Um, which is quite an accomplishment. Um, they were uh, considered to be race traitors because they, um, like a foreign nation had come in and taken over Israel. And these were the guys who said, hey, I'll go work for the enemy government and collect taxes from my neighbors. And usually that made you unpopular. People hated you because you were betraying your people. So the advantage in doing it is you would just take whatever you wanted because you had soldiers that would kill them if they didn't give it. And so, like, most of the time, tax collectors were super, super corrupt because they could do whatever they wanted. And I'm not saying that tax collectors are corrupt now, but you fill in your own blanks. Um, These are guys who were robbing their neighbors for the enemy, and they were hated. Sometimes they would be murdered in the streets. People would avoid going to their houses. And, like, Christ eating with them was a big deal. So Matthew is writing this book. By the way, Matthew is another guy who would look at Jesus and say, You don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am, where I've been. Get away from me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus sat at his table and ate with him and then said, follow me. You're in the program. Brought him along, taught him. And then Matthew wrote the book of Matthew, which is like one of the most quoted books in history. Um, Amazing. Because Matthew is awesome? No, because God is awesome. Anyway, so Matthew is giving us the account of, um, this is right after the miraculous feeding. So Jesus has fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He was the first youth pastor because he could feed that many people with a bag of Doritos and half a pizza. Um, That was funny. (laughs) If you were a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor, and that was funny. Um, (laughs) It's a joke just for me. Um, So... He has just fed 5,000 people in the middle of the desert, and immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and um, go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Now watch this. Um, This is uh, 
play Lake Galilee, and I've been on this lake in a big boat, not a fishing boat. A fishing boat would fit on this stage, so it's not a big, you know, fishing boats are not big, and the boat I was on wouldn't fit in this room. Um, and it was, like, a lot. I mean, there are people who got seasick because the wind comes down between the mountains, and it, like, gets this lake moving. And like they rock and the waves are huge and it is kind of scary. These guys are scared because it is a lot. The boat is tossing around and it's dark. Let's put a different layer on this. If you sit in the dark in Montana, you get a sense of how dark the ancient world is. Um, the ancient world, there was no artificial light. You didn't look at the shore and see the lights of town. You saw nothing. It was black dark. And so they're in this boat, they're tossed around, and all of a sudden there's a guy out there on the water. And they are terrified because they don't expect it to be anything like anything good. I mean, I'm telling you, I I go walking sometimes like out of town in the dark. Like I'll take the dog out and we'll walk, you know, up a few miles out of town and a few miles back and it's pitch black and you can't even see the road and you only know you're on it because like you can feel the gravel crunching under your feet. Um, and, um, if I ran into someone out there, I'm here to tell you, like, I would be startled at a minimum, right? You know, if you were walking through your living room in the dark and you ran into someone, it might startle you and then you'd shoot them. But (laughs) so they're, they're on this boat and they look out and there's a dude standing there. Oh my gosh, there's a guy on the water, like it's a ghost. It must be. It must be something like supernatural because nothing can stand on water. And they're right in a way because it is something supernatural. It is Christ, the, like the God-man, like fully God and fully man, walking on the water. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, Peter, and we're going to find something here. Peter and John stand next to each other in the Gospel of John quite a bit, and we see them throughout the Gospels near each other a lot. John is usually the first one to get things with his head, um, like to dive in intellectually and understand. Peter is the one who dives in, period. Like he is a feet-first kind of guy, like ready, fire, aim. And Peter, seeing Jesus on the water, Peter replied, or Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, he obviously knows it's him, because if it's like the devil or a ghost or something, and the ghost says, hey, step out on the water, like, that would be a trick. You know, oh, my gosh, the ghost lied to me. or He knows it's Jesus, but he wants a part of it. If you can do it, I want to do it. If you're there, I want to do it. I want in. Um, Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out with his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat began to worship him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, there's a couple of commonalities here. They're both in boats, right? kind of cool it's two incidences in peter's life where he encounters jesus in a boat the first time he says oh my gosh you are something special get away from me i'm awful this time around he says oh my gosh you are something like special call me let me come to you things have changed right peter is different peter looks at the situation and says 
I don't know what Jesus is up to, but I want to be a part of it. And he steps out on the water in the middle of a raging storm, and he walks on water, and then he looks at the storm and says, "Uh uh-oh. Because his faith isn't that strong. He is not different. He is different, but he's not quite there yet. And so Peter's response when he's terrified is, when he's in the middle of a storm, is to drown. And to call out, oh, help me, help me, help me. But he's changed. We see a transition. So we're going to jump to John 21. This is a week after Easter Sunday um, has happened. Okay, about, uh, or two weeks, sorry. Um, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciple by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John. And as John is writing his, his book, like he almost never refers to himself as John. Um, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved or the other disciple or the brother of you know, James or whatever. Like he's always sort of putting himself off because he's a little humble, though he did mention that he outran Peter to the tomb. So he's not that humble. Um, <laughs> so um, the, the, the disciples are there together in Galilee. And they've gone back home. Now, real quick, um, at the trial of Jesus, where Jesus and John are together, like at the trial, right? They ran away and then they came back and followed Jesus to the trial. They're standing there in the courtyard of this house and the trial is going on. And somebody says to Peter, hey, don't I know you? Weren't you with that Jesus fella? And he says, no, I wasn't. And then he does it again later. And then finally a little girl asks him, hey, weren't you with, I'm pretty sure you were with that Jesus guy. And he cusses her out. And when he does, a rooster crows, which the day before Jesus had predicted, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me. And Jesus was right. And Peter, who said, I would die with you, cusses out a little girl rather than risk that she's going to kill him. It's ridiculous. Like he has nothing to be afraid of. Um, but he's afraid, and he denies Christ, and he runs off weeping bitterly. And then when he hears that Jesus came back, he ran to the tomb, but he didn't see him at the tomb. And then he encounters Jesus in a room with a bunch of other people, and they talk briefly, and Jesus leaves. And so Peter is waiting to stand in front of God, like the Son of God himself, the resurrected Lord, with this sin on his conscience, with this thing he did. I denied him. Not only did I deny him, I cussed out a little girl in the process of denying him. Like, I, I wasn't even in danger, and I, and I denied him. Like, I did exactly what I said I wouldn't do. Did you ever have one of those moments where you have to go, um, well, all right, every husband listening. You know that moment when you got to tell your wife you screwed up at something, and is there, and you're pretty sure she's going to either bury you in the garden or divorce you or beat you to death or make you sleep on the couch for the rest of your life or whatever, like, because you blew it. Um, like, or when you have to go to your father and say, Dad, here's how I screwed up. I need you to help me. Um, Peter has this thing, and hasn't the air hasn't been cleared, right? And so Peter is in Galilee. He's gone home. Um, and in a way, he tries to go further back home because he tries to go back to what he used to do. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Did anybody see what's about to happen? (laughs) Um, 
So they're out there all night fishing, and they catch nothing. Um, Peter has tried to return to his old profession. He's gone back as the resurrected Lord, like, like it didn't change anything. I'm going to go back to what I used to do. I'm going to go back to who I used to be. I'm going to go back like nothing ever happened. And he's there, and he's fishing like nothing ever happened, and he's not succeeding, and he probably feels empty and half dead inside because, like, he blew it. And Jesus, he called out to them, Friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. Then they did, and they were unable to haul the net in because of a large number of fish. Now watch this. They throw the net out on the other side, and they can't catch anything. Are they? And they suddenly they catch so many fish that the boat starts to, you know, oh my gosh, we can't even get the nets in. It's so many fish. And the very first person to figure out what's going on um, is John. And I skipped a passage. I need my Bible. I, I screwed up my slides here. Uh, yeah, I'll take yours. Are you in John 21? Were you following along? Oh, no. I was just... <laughs> you were next to this. <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, no, he said to them, uh, he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will uh, find some. So they cast it out or so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, meaning John, um, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, John was with Peter when they first encountered Christ. And Christ said, throw the net off. And they pulled in so many fish, the boat started to sink, right? And we have another parallel, right? This is clearly the first encounter with Christ and the last encounter of Christ were the same. Like, they were the same. And, like, we have an encounter in the middle, I think, that I think fits neatly into this. So when Peter didn't know the Lord, he says, get away from me. I'm a sinner. When he did know the Lord, but he didn't understand what was coming, he said, let me walk on water with you. And then he was afraid of the storm that he was in, and he began to sink. And now they're in the same moment, the same miracle. And Jesus is tipping his hand as to what's going on. Um, uh, uh, sorry, it's hard for me to. All right, Jesus said to them, oh, uh, I'll back it up a little bit. Um, The disciple that Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the full nets of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. Now, watch what just happened here. Um, Peter, who has blown it, like he has absolutely blown it. He is in the biggest, nastiest, ugliest storm he's ever going to experience his entire life. He is standing in a place where he has rejected the Lord. He has screwed up as big as he possibly can. And he knows he's a sinner. He knows he's broken. And standing there on shore is Jesus. And about the last person he probably wants to talk to about how he screwed up is there. And how does he respond? Get away from me. I'm a sinner. Help me, Lord. I'm drowning. I'm diving in and I'm getting to him as fast as I possibly can. Because the resurrection changed everything. Jesus, like Peter, came to know that the only answer 
to I screwed up. The only answer to I'm a failure. The only answer to I cannot believe that God would even love me because of how rotten I am. Like the only answer to that is I just need to get back to Jesus. And I'm getting, i I got to get back to Jesus as fast as I can. I need to be there now. So much so, I'll let these fish go, and I'll swim to him. I need to be there. He didn't ask to walk on water, mind you. Hey, if it's really you, can I walk on water? Nothing. Just got to get there. Got to get there. Because Jesus is the only answer. And that is how the resurrection changes everything. Because old Peter is dead. Old Peter is gone. Old Peter is buried. New Peter knows Jesus' life. And life abundantly. And when we blow it, you run back to him. And when you feel worthless and you say, God can never love me, you run back to him. When you get overwhelmed in your stress and you say, I am worthless, I can't do this, I am so pointless, I'm a horrible person, I'm a bad parent, I'm a bad friend, I'm a bad believer, I'm a bad everything, oh, I suck so bad, like, run back to Jesus. He doesn't stand there wagging his finger at us. He doesn't stand there lecturing us. He doesn't stand there, oh, man, you really blew it. He doesn't say, all right, well, here's the list of things you need to do to make it right. Instead, standing on shore, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even so, many uh, even with so many, the, the net was not torn. Now, there's a little bit of symbolism in this. Um, Peter is going to be the fisher of men, right? And before the resurrection, they tried to pull the fish in, and the net started to break. And this time around, the nets don't break. Why? Because the church is going to pull in people. Peter and the evangelists and, like, the ministers of Christ and, and his servants are going to pull in fish, and the church will never, never get over full. There will never be an end to the number of you that will be brought into Christ and forgiven and made brand new. Like you can't back up and say, oh, well, I'm one too many. I'm too bad. I'm this, I'm that. No, because the nets will never break. Christ will always pull in more. And you are forgiven and I am forgiven if I'm in Christ. Um, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So they come, and Jesus is on shore with a fire, and he's making breakfast. He says, bring your fish on over, and like he feeds them. He cooks their breakfast, and he feeds them, and he takes care of them. He doesn't lecture. He doesn't say, oh, you're worthless. Oh, you're pointless. Oh, I'm so pissed off at you, Peter. I'm so angry. He says, you are here. You are forgiven. And so, like, what do we do with this? Like, how do we do it? First off, the resurrection changed Peter because Peter knew that Christ was the only answer. And those of us who are in Christ after the resurrection, we know that life is never the same again. You are never lost in your sin. You are never broken beyond repair. You are never so sinful that God will not forgive you. You are always called back. And all you have is to run back to him over and over and over again. Does that mean I'll never sin? Absolutely not. Read a quote from Martin Luther. I'm going to quote loosely today. Um, <laughs> where Luther said, um, in, in Christ, the old man, our sinful nature is drowned in our baptism, and we are born again with new life. 
but that really stubborn donkey can swim pretty well. I love Martin Luther. Um, <laughs> we are forgiven. Our old self is drowned, but we'll struggle with our old self still. He didn't like the fact that he's dead, that we're dead to sin, but it'll come back to us over and over again. Like, if you are listening to this message saying you don't know Christ, understand, follow him and nothing will be the same. You can never go back to your old life. You can never go back to the way it was because the spirit will be there reminding you, hey, you're not this guy anymore. You're made brand new. You belong to him. Come back, come back, come back. Beyond that, um, when you find yourself condemning yourself, and sometimes that's us beating ourselves up. Anybody else do this? Um, The whole room just raised their hand, and I imagine a bunch of people on couches did too, where you sit there and you say, I am worthless. God could never love me. I am never going to be forgiven. Nobody loves me. I'm awful. I'm the worst person ever. Um, Sometimes that's us. Sometimes it's Satan shooting fiery darts at us. And like what uh, Galatians says we're supposed to do is we're supposed to like use our shield of faith to protect ourselves from the fiery darts of Satan. And so we back up and in our faith we say, I'm forgiven. I'm made new. I'm adopted into God's family. I'm a son or daughter of the creator of the universe. Forgiven, made brand new. When he looks at me, he sees Christ's righteousness. I'm not an awful parent. I'm not worthless. Sometimes we say it ourselves, though. Some of us have a real talent for that. I do it sometimes. You're just this. Honestly, with the young lady I spoke to, if somebody said to him, her, you, you can't pretend to be new. You're just a prostitute. You know, you, you, can't, you can't be new. You're just a drunk. You can't be new. You're just a pervert. You're, you can't be new. You're just garbage. You can't be new. You're just this. Like, that would be the ultimate blasphemy, wouldn't it? That's saying the Lord is not sufficient. God's grace is not sufficient to make you new. It would be the worst thing somebody could say to another believer, and you would punch him in the face if you heard him say it. But we say it to ourselves all the time. Your resurrection is not enough for me. The new life in Christ is not enough to make me worthwhile. I'm not good even though I'm a new creation. I'm not loved. I'm not lovable even though Christ went to the cross to demonstrate his love for me when I was still a sinner. Like, what is brand new is the reality that when those things come to us, our shield of faith says, run back to Jesus. Dive in the water, swim for it, get back to him as quick as possible. Drop everything right now. Drop to your knees and say, Lord, I know I'm new in you. Lord, I just have to be back to you. Lord, I cannot get back to you fast enough. Lord, I'm not even going to bother with the important things of life right now. I need to focus on you. My challenge to you this week We have all this weird time where we're stuck at home. Use this time to look at your heart and look at your life and ask, am I living like I'm still that guy? Do I tell myself I'm still that guy? Do I pretend that I'm still dead and worthless in my sin? Am I letting Satan's arrows, flaming arrows, hit me and I'm covered in them and I'm dying? Um, Do I believe that that nonsense is true? Or in my faith, do I dive into the water? Am I still stuck in the place where Christ has forgiven me, but I drop to my knees and say, get away from me, I'm a sinner? Am I still stuck in the place that when I'm in the storm, I sink instead of swimming straight to him? 
Like, Christ is everything in our faith. Like, and over and over again, the resurrection has changed that. Like, over and over again, all we have is to run back to him. He'll never fail us. No grave can contain him. No, no sin I can commit can overcome his forgiveness. No stain is deeper than the blood of Christ can wash out. Praise God for that. Let's close in prayer and I'll let you be. Heavenly Father, just, I cannot say it enough. I, I have nothing to bring. I have nothing to offer. I just, I'm so grateful that Christ died for me. I'm so grateful that Christ died for the folks who are watching today and that Christ died for the folks in the room and that Christ died for every one of us, poured his blood out for my forgiveness. I thank you for the resurrection, for the proof that life is not the way it used to be, for proof that I can be a new creation just like Christ was raised, I am raised. Help me to swim to Christ today. Help me to dive out of my life and run back to him. Help me to raise the shield and protect myself against the lies that say that everything isn't me. Lord God, I pray for your grace on us. Thank you. Amen. Have a good morning, folks. Uh, If you're on the board, I think we have like 25 minutes. I will see you all there. I'm going to walk away so I'm not on camera anymore.